Pastor Xavier Reese and the True Hope of Heaven on today's Simple Truths. You want spiritual assurance? Scripturally? Listen to Paul. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. There's your assurance. Have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth? Then you are saved. Now go forward. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For whatever reason, one of the most difficult things for men to do is to stop and ask for directions. But the simple truth is, it seems the same is true for people in general when it comes to seeking an everlasting relationship with God. Today, Pastor Xavier opens up the roadmap to heaven as he continues his study series in the book of Hebrews. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 12. And the message is entitled, The Direction to Heaven is Four Words. And we know as parents, we want our children to grow and we expect things of them. And when they, that doesn't happen, uh, it's heartbreaking. How much more in the Lord? Such is the um, spiritual condition of these Hebrew Christians. In verse 11 of 5, they became sluggish, their spiritual perception. They just, not that it was difficult the material, not that they didn't have the ability, but they just, they became sluggish. And they were far from being mature Christians, despite of their years in Christ. He begins by exhorting them to spiritual maturity. How needful is this? Notice first, verse 1, the rule of Christians is to press forward spiritually. Never forget that. The Christian life is a race, and it must be finished. The author repeats their need to move on to perfection, which is the error's tense, once and for all. Literally, let us be carried to an adult state, as mature believers in the teachings about Christ. And perfection, by the way, never means sinlessness, okay? We're not talking about sinlessness, okay? No one is sinless. And so the proclamation is implying the action of an outside agent. Who could that be? The Holy Spirit. You cannot perfect yourself. You cannot move forward without the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in your own energies. You cannot do it through your own intellect. It's got to be the power of the Spirit of God with the Word of God transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. These Hebrews were exhorted to move forward to spiritual maturity. Notice secondly, he warns them against spiritual apostasy. Verse 4 through 8. They had been once enlightened, illuminated, referring to Jesus Christ who was Messiah. The word enlightened, phototizo, means to give light or illumination. Their minds, their hearts regarding Jesus. We get our word photograph, photosynthesis, stuff like that. He's talking about salvation here. Being illuminated as to who Jesus was, they were convicted of their sin. And as 1 John 6 through 11 says, the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And they repented of their sins. By the way, the word partakers there means partner, participant. They were participants of the Holy Spirit. Unless you're born again, you can't be participant of the Holy Spirit. And then it says they had tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. And the word for word there is rhema, the spoken word, which means the gospel. They had heard it from those who had heard it from Christ. And the power describes the inherent power of the age to come, dunamis. The power of the spirit reigning supremely. 
here on earth in the life of the Christian as it will in the millennial kingdom. The age to come is the millennial kingdom. Where God's will is being done in my life as it is in heaven. They had partaken of all of this. Now in view of this awesome privilege, now we can understand the horrible warning. Now notice 30 in verse 6. The Greek says, having fallen away. There's no if in there. Having fallen away. It's a fact. The word fallen away is made up of two words. The first is par alongside. The second one is peptin, which means to fall. The word means to fall beside a person or a thing, to deviate from the right path. In fact, this is the Septuagint translation, right? The Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? The Hebrew word mahal corresponds to the Greek word here, parapipto, and is used for the treachery of an unfaithful wife to a husband, the treachery of God's people to Yahweh, the treachery of Achan to take the accursed thing, and of the treachery of turning away from the worship of Yahweh in the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Ezekiel. It's hard to get away from what he's saying. You understand? The word is not the common word for apostasy, which is apostasia, but a willful, deliberate departure from the faith, crucifying up again Christ and declaring he is deserving of the cross, being an imposter to open shame. That's pretty heavy, pretty radical. It's a willful, deliberate departing. The reality of, the, of this spiritual condition has a bleak hope. The impossibility is to renew them again to repentance. Now, the Calvinist perspective is that these Hebrew Christians were not born again. They merely tasted short of salvation. We've already proven you cannot have that way. The problem with this understanding is that one has to explain the experiential description of verse 4 and 5 that are solely described and ascribed to Christians. If they're not born again, then how do, you, how do you explain this? Now, some Calvinists will also say that these are born-again Christians, but the warning is against a fruitless life and losing reward. The context betrays that interpretation. Reward is not the issue, but repentance. Now, the Armenians, on the other perspective, on the other extreme, also have a problem. In that it says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. So there's a problem there. Don't let people force you to extremes. Predestination and free will are biblical. Stand in the middle and abide in Christ Jesus. There's a cooperation of he and we that we do not understand. Yet we're not saving ourselves as we will see clearly. We trust in him for that. Now, if we take what is said in the context and the cultural background of the audience, they're Hebrew Christians. Then these were Hebrews who were going back to the animal sacrifice, right? In the temple, the Jewish rituals. If they returned and depended on those sacrifices for the basis of their repentance, it would be impossible to renew them to repentance again under the Jewish law. So if they left and offered a sacrifice thinking that they were right with God, God wouldn't honor their repentance. Why? 
because there is no allowance or value under the Jewish system any longer. He's talking to Hebrew Christians. They want to go back. Now, if they had crossed that line that God alone knows, then it would be impossible even if they returned to Jesus. So there are some people who may go back to a system and remain there, and then they're lost. Or they may go back and maybe go so far that no matter what they attempt, they can't find repentance. But God alone knows that. Let's not be belligerent and, and think that we can presume upon who that is. So how dare we say these were not born again? You can't say that. The impossibility of God to renew them if they repented and came back would not exist with God but with man. But if they did reach that mark, they would not be concerned with repentance. It's real clear. If you think you've committed this sin, you haven't because you're worried about it. Now, put that energy to work. Cultivate, grow in Christ Jesus. Let me look at some important observations here. The warning then is not only a warning against such danger, but a comfort and exhortation to know that they are not beyond reach. It's both things. It's a strong warning to those that are headed there, and it's a great comfort to these because you know why? They're not included in this part. But it's a real warning. It's a real potential. Do not take the sting out of this warning. The reason is given to us in verse 6 there. Since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God, this is the internal witness of their heart-rejecting Messiah, having been born again. Now, though they were not believed to be in a fallen condition, as described here, they were certainly on their way there, evident by the five warnings. In chapter 2, verse 1, don't drift from what you have heard. The warning is against disregarding the words of Jesus of so great a salvation, the consequences is eternal loss. Then in chapter 3, verse 12, don't disbelieve or depart from the living God. And the warning was against unbelieving the sufficiency of God for one salvation. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, and here in 6, 4 through 8, he says, don't degenerate in your spiritual growth. The warning is against discrediting the Son of God, and falling away to another system, the consequence being there is no repentance apart from Christ. You don't have repentance in any other system. God doesn't honor it. And then in chapter 10, verse 29, don't despise the spirit of grace, the warning against blasphemy. The consequences are eternal punishment. The last one is found in Hebrews 12, 25. Don't defy what you have heard. The warning is against disobeying the call of God. Real warnings, they increase in severity. Now notice fourth, in verse 7 and 8, the simple illustration helps to understand the warning. Those who abide in Christ are presented first. Verse 7, for the earth which drinks the rain and often comes upon it and bears earth useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. Notice the earth and the rain represent divine, the divine side through the gospel, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and the conversion to be fruit bearers. The illustration is self-explanatory. The cultivation is the human side. 
the responsibility which receives the blessings from God. So in the illustration, you have the divine and the human also. God gives the rain, you have to cultivate the earth, right? Both sides. And so the exhortation is to go on to perfection, what he's been saying. Verse 8, those who do not abide in Christ are presented second. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to be cursed, whose end is to be burned. The bearing of the thorns and the thistles is not God's doing, but man's. You remember Isaiah 5, verse 4, the parable of the vineyard? Listen to him, listen. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good graves, did it bring forth wild grapes? God was saying to Isaiah, listen, it is not my fault that Israel has not flourished. I did everything that could be done. It is human responsibility. Oh, busted. Even in the Old Testament. <laughs> that person is rejected by God and near to being cursed. Notice that. Now notice the distinction is made. Some are rejected by God being near to being cursed, but are not. Because Jew tell us, let's pull some even out of the fire. Okay? There are some who, ah, that guy's never going to be saved. But God's going to save him. So let's, let's be careful about this, okay? There are some who are blasphemous. And God, by his grace, saves them afterwards. Some early, some later, some at the deathbed. That's God's department. The person who is cursed has reached that impossible line to be renewed to repentance again, looking only to judgment. Listen to Hebrews 10, 29-31. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, listen, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His people. Pagans, not even in that. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Let's examine it real quickly. Some fell by the wayside, right? They weren't born again. So we know that. The scripture speaks about that. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on thorny ground. Some fell on good ground. 30, 40, 60 fold, right? Now, were the stony ground seeds and the thorny ground seeds ever born again? Well, if you're a Calvinist, you say no. But God alone knows. But how many people have we known have fallen on stony ground and have moved on to be fruitful or thorny ground? Let me put it another way. If a woman has a miscarriage, are we willing to say she was never pregnant? Are we willing to say there was never a child? Are we willing to say there was never life? Kind of an eye-opener, isn't it? Some children die before they're born. Some children die after they're born. They're children. The only ones that aren't born again in the peril of the sower, according to me, is the one who fell by the wayside. The other three are. So let's pray for those on stony ground that they move on to being fruitful. Let's pray those on thorny ground that they move on to being fruitful and not go back. You understand? Can a person partake of all these things and not be saved? 
Well, Jesus seems to imply at least that it can be duplicated. Remember Matthew 7, 21 through 23? In that day they'll say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. He says, I never knew you'd depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So things can be duplicated. But on the other side, we also know that Judas Iscariot probably did miracles. And because he never repented, he perished. God didn't predestine him to go to hell. He refused to repent. It's real simple. Study Gospel of John. Jesus over and over again gave Judas more opportunity to repent than anyone else. Even to the last point where he kissed him in the garden. Judas, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? And he went out and hung himself. A choice. 1 John 2, 19 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. So yes, there's some who believe they're Christians. They look like Christians, but they're never Christians. But Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 1, that now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Some people will fall away sporadically at different times in the, in the latter days. It's very, very clear. The text tells us that a person can't partake in all these and be born again and fall away. Some say no, and they stack the scriptures of eternal security. My sheep will never perish, this and that, everything else. But if there is no possibility, then why the warning? It's useless. You don't warn people who are lost. The occasional departure from the faith is very, very clear. In fact, Peter says it would have been better that they never had known the truth than having been cleansed and, and, and liberated from sin to go back and to end up twice worse off than they were in 2 Peter 2, 20 and 21. It's real simple. You can't be set free from sin unless you're born again. And then you're entangled again. That means you go back. These Hebrews were warned about spiritual apostasy. Now, the third and last point. He admonishes them to spiritual assurance. 9 through 12. And 9, the author expresses his confidence in the assurance of their salvation. The word but stands in sharp contrast to those having fallen away and not to be renewed to repentance. It's a contrast here. He expresses the only tender affection word in all of the, the epistle. Here it is. Beloved. The only one. He expresses his confidence in them of better things that accompany salvation. Even though he has spoken to them after this manner. Even though they had been warned about not drifting, about not resting in the finished work, now he's assuring them of their salvation. He was confident in them of better things than those who had fallen away. You see the connection? I'm confident in you. You don't fall in this category. But some have. The warning's real. Now notice secondly in verse 10, the author says they should be assured of their salvation based on their faith and works. He says that God is not unjust to forget the work and labor of love that has shown in the past. Their faith in God is evident by their works for God. They were doing some works for God. They were commendable like the church of Ephesus. And then he says that it's in his name, not for self-glory, not for anything else, but in his name, as if I was doing it to Jesus. And he says they did not only have ministered to the saints in the past, but also are in the present. And the word minister, diaconio, means to be an attendant, a waiter on tables. It's the same word that is used for the deacons in Acts 6.2. It's the same that is used for the office of deacon in 1 Timothy 3.10. It's the same word that is used by Jesus for his ministry. I did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. 
They were being like their master on this part, but they weren't growing. Notice thirdly in verse 11, the author says that they should continue this conduct till the end to have full assurance. The process is individual and personal market. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence. The other desire that every one of them make evident in their own lives in the future what they had made evident in the past and the present. The word diligent means to dispatch, to be earnest. Do it as often and as quick as you can, whenever you can, to who you can, do it. In other words, their eagerness to be used by God in his love and works would produce full confidence and assurance in their hope of salvation unto the end. There it is. Notice he finishes off in verse 12. The author says this type of lifestyle will make them like spiritual men of the past and those they are emulating. This type of obedience will serve as a preventive measure. This is the negative. But at the same time, it brings about positive results. That you do not become sluggish. It will keep them from falling back to old habits. This type of obedience will serve as to make them spiritual. You want spiritual assurance scripturally? Let me give you one text. Romans 10, 9, 11. Listen to Paul. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's your assurance. Have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth? Then you are saved. Now go forward. You should never question your salvation. Even through the difficult times, I've never quite. Why? Because my salvation is based on Jesus Christ. I abide in him. You should be assured of your salvation by your fruitfulness in your life. Well, that's one way. John 15, 8, the fruit in your life. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, Peter says, 2 Peter 1.10. Look at your life. Is there evidence? It's got in it. We must understand that the author is not saying that salvation is earned by works but rather that salvation is a faith that manifests works as a result of salvation. Paul uses Romans 4, 1 through 5 for Abraham. His faith is all that God honored to be saved, okay, before the cross. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26 says, if you have faith, then show me your works. But James is talking about faith after you're born again. If you're born again, then there's going to be works. But you can't bring any works to be saved. You're saved by faith, but once you're saved, then God's going to use you in works. And if you say you're saved and there's no works, then maybe you're not saved. Or maybe you're just sluggish. You're going backwards. You understand? No contradiction. And so you and I need to cultivate our lives. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you always steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank God for that. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship, his poem, his message. Works that were created and prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Let's walk in them. Let's not be sluggish. These Hebrews were admonished about their spiritual assurance. They should be assured of salvation. And so should you. The direction to heaven is forward. 
Which way are you headed? I hope it's forward. Pastor Xavier Reese, offering an eternal perspective for the proper ordering of faith and works, reassuring simple truths that lead to salvation. And today's message, The Direction to Heaven is Forward, is available on CD as always for just $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, The Direction to Heaven is Forward, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, we'll be taking a look at a past picture of a future king. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com